Matthew chapter 27 verse 57 through chapter 28 verse 7. Chapter 27 verses 57 through 61. When the even was come, there was a rich man of Amrathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Burkett notes, Here we have an account given of our Lord's funeral and interment in the grave, such a funeral as was never since graves were first digged concerning which we have these particulars observable. Observe 1. The preparatives that were made for our Lord's funeral, namely, the begging and perfuming of his dead body. His body could not be buried till by begging it was obtained of Pilate, the dead bodies of malefactors being in the power and disposal of the judge. Pilate grants it, and to manifest their dear affection to their dead Lord, they wrap the body in fine linens with spice to perfume it. But what need of odors for that body which could not see corruption? Though his holy body did not want them, yet the affections of his friends could not withhold them. Observe, too, the bearers that carried his body to the grave, or the persons concerned in solemnizing his funeral, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two rich men and two secret disciples. One, they were rich men, senators, honorable counselors, and so that prophecy was fulfilled. Isaiah 53.9, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. 2. They were good men as well as rich men. Disciples, though secretly, for fear of the Jews, Graith does not always make a public and open show where it is, and there is much secret riches in the bowels of the earth, which no eye ever saw. So there may be grace in the hearts of a Christian, which the world takes no notice of. We never heard any news of Joseph of Arimathea till now, yet was he eminently rich, wise, and good, a worthy, though a close disciple. Much grace may be where little is seen. Some gracious persons cannot put forward and discover themselves like others, and yet such weak Christians perhaps, when a trial comes, shall stand their ground when the stronger run away. We read of none of the apostles at Christ's funeral. Fear had chased them away, though they professed a readiness to die with Christ. But Joseph and Nicodemus appear boldly for him. Let it be a caution to strong Christians, neither to glory in themselves nor to glory over the weak. If God desert the strong and assist the weak, the feeble shall be as David and the strong as toe. Observe 3. The mourners that followed the hearse, namely, the women that followed him out of Galilee, and particularly the two Marys, a very poor train of mourners, a few sorrowful women. Others are attended to their grave by their relatives and friends, but Christ's disciples were all scattered and afraid to own him either dying or dead. Our blessed Lord affected no pomp or gallantry in his life, and it was no way suitable either to the end or manner of his death. Humiliation was designed in his death, and his burial was the lowest degree of his humiliation. Observe 4. The grave or sepulchre in which they buried him. It was in a garden. As by the sin of the first Adam, we were driven out of the garden of pleasure, 
the earthly paradise, so by the sufferings of the second Adam, who lay buried in a garden, may we hope for an entrance into the heavenly paradise. It was in a sepulchre hewn out of rock, so that his enemies might have no occasion to cavail and say that his disciples stole him away by secret holes or unseen passages under the ground. And it was in a new sepulchre, in which never any man was laid, lest his adversaries should say it was some other that had risen, or that he rose from the dead by touching some other corpse. Observe 5. The manner of our Lord's funeral. Hastily, openly, decently celebrated. It was done in haste by reason of the straits of time. The preparation for the Passover caused them to be very expeditious. The Sabbath was approaching, and they lay all business aside to prepare for that. Learn hence how much it is our duty to dispatch our worldly business as early as we can towards the end of the week, that we may be better prepared to sanctify the Lord's Day, if we live to enjoy it. We ought to remember that day before it comes, and to sanctify it when it comes. Again, our Lord was buried openly, as well as hastily. All persons had liberty to be spectators, that none might object there was any fraud or deceit used in or about his funeral. He was also interred decently, his body wrapped in fine linen and perfumed with odors, according to the Jewish custom, which used not to unbowel but embalm their dead. Observe 6. The reason why our Lord was buried, seeing he was to rise again in as short a time as other men lie by the walls, and had his dead body remained a thousand years unburied, could have seen no corruption, having never been tainted with sin. Sin is the cause of the body's corruption. It is sin that makes our bodies stink worse than carrion when they're dead. A funeral, then, was not necessary for Christ's body upon the same account that it's necessary for ours. But one, he was buried to declare the certainty of his death and the reality of his resurrection. And for this reason did God's providence order it, that he should be embalmed to cut off all pretensions. For in this kind of embalming, his mouth, his ears, and his nostrils were all filled with spices and odors, so that there could be no latent principle of life in him. Being thus buried, then, declares him to be certainly dead. Two, he was buried to fulfill the types and prophecies that went before concerning him. Jonah's being three days and three nights in the belly of a whale was a type of Christ's being three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the prophet, Isaiah 53, 9, had declared the manner of his funeral long before he was born. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Pointing by that expression at this tomb of Joseph's, who was a rich man, and the scriptures cannot be broken. 3. He was buried to complete his humiliation. They have brought me to the dust of death, says David, a type of Christ. This was the lowest step he could possibly descend in his abased state. Lower he could not be laid, and so low his blessed head must be laid, else he had not been humbled to the lowest. For he went into the grave that he might conquer death in its own territories and dominions. Christ's victory over the grave causes his saints to triumph and sing, O grave, where is thy destruction? Our blessed Lord has perfumed the bed of the grave by his own lying in it, so that a pillow of down is not so soft to a believer's head as a pillow of dust. Observe lastly, of what use the doctrine of our Lord's burial may be unto us. 1. For instruction. Here we see the amazing depth of our Lord's humiliation. From what, to what, 
his love brought him, even from the bosom of his father to the bosom of a grave. Now the depth of his humiliation shows us the fullness and sufficiency of his satisfaction, as well as the heinousness of our transgression. 2. For consolation against the fears of death and the grave. The grave received Christ, but could not retain him. Death swallowed him up, as the fish did Jonah, but quickly vomited him up again. So shall it fare with Christ mystical, as it did with Christ personal. The grave could not long keep him, it shall not forever keep us. As his body rested in hope, so shall ours also. And though they see corruption, which he did not, yet shall they not always lie under the power of corruption. In a word, Christ's lying in the grave has changed and altered the nature of the grave. It was a prison before, a bed of rest now. A loathsome grave before, a perfumed bed now. He whose head is in heaven need not fear to put his foot into the grave. Awake and sing, thou that dwellest in the dust, for the enmity of the grave is slain by Christ. 3. For imitation. Let us study and endeavor to be buried with Christ in respect of our sins. Romans 6, 4. Buried with him into death. Our sins should be as a dead body in several respects. Our dead bodies removed from the society of men? So should our sins be far from us. Do dead bodies in the grave spend and consume away little and little? So should our sins daily. Will dead bodies grow every day more and more loathsome to others? So should our sins be to ourselves. Do dead bodies wax out of memory and are quite forgotten? So should our sins in respect of any delights we take in remembering of them. We should always remember our sins to our humiliation, but never think or speak of them with the least delight or satisfaction. For this, in God's account, is a new commission of them, and lays us under an additional guilt. Verses 62 through 66. Now the next day, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, After three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the cephalica be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. And so they went and made the cephalica sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Burkett notes, This last paragraph of the chapter acquaints us with the endeavors that the murderers of Christ used to prevent his foretold resurrection. They ask and obtain of Pilate that his cephalica may be strongly guarded till the third day was passed and over, when probably they intended to have exposed his dead body to the view of the people, and accordingly a threefold guard is set about the grave, the stone, the seal, and the watch. Concluding that Christ was safe enough either from rising or stealing, the stone making the grave sure, the seal making the stone sure, and the watch or band of soldiers making all sure. The stone being sealed with the public seal, no person might meddle with it upon pain of death. Where note 1, the wonderful wisdom of the overruling power and providence of God. By this excessive care and extraordinary diligence, the high priests hoped to prevent our Savior's resurrection, but the truth and belief of it was hereby confirmed to all the world. How much evidence had Christ's resurrection wanted 
if the high priests and elders had not been thus maliciously industrious to prevent his rising. Learn, too, that the endeavors used to obstruct our Lord's resurrection have rendered it more certain and undoubted. Had not all this care and caution been used by his enemies, the grounds of our faith had not been so strong, so evident, and so clear. It was very happy that the Jews were thus jealous and suspicious, thus careful and distrustful, for otherwise the world had never received so full and perfect an evidence of Christ's resurrection as now, whereupon all our comfort and salvation doth depend. Verily, their solicitous care to suppress our Redeemer's resurrection has rendered it more conspicuous and freed it from all suspicion of forgery. Chapter 27 Burkett Notes This last chapter of Matthew contains the history of our Savior's resurrection and gives us an account of what he did on earth between the time of his triumphant resurrection and his glorious ascension. Verse 1 In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. Burkett notes, The Lord of life was buried upon the Friday, in the evening of that day on which he was crucified, and his holy body rested in the silent grave the next day, and a part of the morning of the day following. Thus he arose again the third day, neither sooner nor later, not sooner, lest the truth of his death should have been questioned, that he did not die at all, and not later, lest the faith of his disciples should have failed. And accordingly, when the Sabbath was passed, and it was dawn towards the first day of the week, in the morning very early, before day, Mary Magdalene and other devout women go to visit the sepulchre, intending, with their spices and odors, further to embalm our Lord's body. But observe, although the hearts of these good women did burn with an ardent love and zeal for their crucified Lord, yet the commanded duties of the Sabbath are not omitted by them. They stay till the Sabbath is ended, and then early in the morning they go with odors in their hands to perfume his sacred corpse, fearing neither the darkness of the night nor the presence of the watchman. How great a tribute of respect and honor is due and payable to these women for their magnanimity and courage. They followed Christ when his disciples left him. They accompanied him to his cross and followed his hearse to the grave, when none of his disciples durst appear. Learn hence that courage is the special and particular gift of God, and where God gives courage, it is not in man to make afraid. Verses 2 through 4. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and become as dead men. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, with what pomp and triumph doth our Lord arise. The earth that quaked before at his crucifixion quakes now again at his resurrection. It quaked then at the dissolution, now at the reunion of his human nature, to tell the world that the God of nature then suffered and now conquered. Observe, too, how an angel is employed in Christ's resurrection. He rolls away the stone. But could not Christ have risen without the angel's help? Yes, sure. He that raised himself surely could have removed the stone. But God thinks fit to send an officer from heaven to open the prison door of the grave. And by setting our surety at liberty, proclaims our debt to the divine justice fully satisfied. Besides, it was fit that the angels, who had been witnesses of our Savior's passion, 
should also be witnesses of his resurrection. Observe 3. How unable the keepers of the grave were to bear the sight and presence of the angels. They shook for fear and became as dead men. Angels, being pure and perfect spirits, man is not able to bear the sight of an angel. No, not in human shape, without terror and affrightment. And if the sight of an angel be so dreadful, what is the sight of God himself? Verses 5-7 through seven. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. Burkett Notes Observe here, 1. Our Lord's resurrection asserted and declared. He is risen. God never intended that the darling of his soul should be lost in an obscure sepulchre. He is not here, says the angel. That is, in the grave where you laid him, where you left him. Death has lost its prey, and the grave has lost her guest. Observe, too, it is not said, He is not here, for he is raised, but he is risen. The words import the active power of Christ, or the self-quickening principle by which Christ raised himself from the dead. Acts 1, 3. He showed himself alive after his passion. Learn hence that it was the divine nature, or Godhead of Christ, which raised his human nature from death to life. Others were raised from the grave by Christ's power. He raised himself by his own power. Observe 3. The testimony or witness given to our Lord's resurrection that of an angel. The angel said, He is not here, but risen. But why is an angel the first publisher of our Lord's resurrection? Surely the dignity of our Lord's person and the excellency of his resurrection required that it should be first published by an angel. And accordingly, it is worthy our observation how very serviceable and officious the holy angels were in attending upon our Savior in the days of his flesh. An angel foretells his conception to the Blessed Virgin. An angel proclaims his birth to the shepherds. An angel succors him in his temptation in the wilderness. An angel comforts him in his agony in the garden. And at his resurrection, an angel rolls away the stone from the sepulchre and brings the first tidings of it to the women. In his ascension, the angels bore him company to heaven. And when he comes again to judgment, he shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Observe 4. The persons to whom our Lord's resurrection was first made known. To women. To the two Marys. But why to the women? God will make choice of weak means for producing great effects, knowing that the weakness of the instrument redounds to the greater honor of the agent. In the whole dispensation of the gospel, Almighty God intermixes divine power with human weakness. Thus, the conception of Christ was by the power of the Holy Ghost, but his mother, a poor woman, a carpenter's spouse. So the crucifixion of Christ was in much meanness and outward baseness, being crucified between two thieves, but the powers of heaven and earth trembling, the rocks rending, the graves opening, showed a mixture of divine power. God will honor what instruments he pleases for the accomplishment of his own purposes. But why to these two women? The two Marys is the discovery of Christ's resurrection first made. Possibly it was a reward for their magnanimity and masculine courage. These women cleaved to Christ when the apostles fled from him and forsook him. They assisted at his cross, 
They attended at his funeral. They watched his sepulchre. These women had more courage than the apostles. Therefore, God makes the women apostles to the apostles. He sends them to tell the apostles of the resurrection, and they must have the news at second hand. What a tacit rebuke was thereby given to the apostles, a secret check that they should be thus outdone by poor women. These holy women went before the apostles in the last services that were done for Christ, and therefore the apostles here come after them in their reward and comforts. Observe 5. The evidence which the angel offers to the women to evince and prove the verity and certainty of our Savior's resurrection, namely, by an appeal to their senses. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. The senses, when rightly disposed, are the proper judges of all sensible objects. Christ himself did appeal to his disciples' senses concerning the truth of his own resurrection. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. And indeed, if we must not believe our senses, we shall want the best external evidence for the proof of the truth of the Christian religion, namely, the miracles wrought by Christ and his apostles. For what assurance can we have of the reality of these miracles but from our senses? Therefore, says our Savior, if you believe not me, yet believe the works that I do, that is, the miracles which I have wrought before your eyes. Now, as my senses tell me that Christ's miracles were true, so they assure me that the doctrine of transubstantiation is false. From the whole note, that the Lord Jesus Christ, by the omnipotent power of his Godhead, revived and rose again from the dead to the terror and consternation of his enemies and the unspeakable joy and consolation of his believers. (laughs) 